grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Hey guys, <laughs> wow, hang on guys, I'm on the wrong camera. Hang on, I'm having camera issues. I don't know what's going on here. There we go. Okay. All right. I told you guys I have an old computer. This is what happens if I move anything like very little on the table, you know, on my desk here. It throws the main camera off. That's what my the other webcam you saw is my is the actual webcam on my laptop. Garbage, absolute garbage. So I have a uh, separate webcam. So anyway, uh, welcome. At least the uh, intro didn't stop like last night because you know last night the intro stopped before I even got to like plug into everything. Hello, Jerry. How's it going? Haven't seen you in a while. But uh, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state. We have people in the Bay Area everywhere. There's Jerry. He's my Bay Area, my, my Bay Area guy. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you have, think you have a paranormal problem, we can get you. It might take us a while. California is a big state, so it might take us a while. But we also have people who can uh, give you a phone call, psychics, mediums on staff who can give you a phone call and help you out until we can get out there. Okay. Just a word of warning. It is very windy. The wind is picking up. It's been windy all day today. So... The lights have been flickering a lot today, so we go off the air. Just hang in there. Don't anybody move. Guests, no, you know, no, nobody else. People, people in the chat room, nobody move because I will be back. I'm set up on my cell phone. I have a my handy dandy selfie light. Check out, check this out. See, it's like the light. I call it the light of God. So I'll be able to go out via selfie light if it comes down to it. So what'll happen is if the power goes off, I'll transfer. I'll, you know, everything will shut down, then we'll come back up because I'll be transferring my base of operations. I'll be transferring my, my, my base of operations to, to my iPhone, okay? Just an FYI. So anyway, welcome, welcome, welcome. We've got a great show lined up for you tonight. Uh, this gentleman's been on the show before talking about Roswell. And uh, it was a very interesting show when he was on. And this time we're kind of changing the topic up. You know how I'm a newspaper reporter and all that good stuff, and I... I like to handle current current events sometimes, and so what we're going to be talking about a little bit tonight, maybe the whole show, maybe not. You know, I have to talk some Roswell too with them, right? But we're going to be talking about those balloons that were shot down and um, over U.S. territory. And that that was Canadian. One was Canadian. I don't know. I can't remember. But we're going to be talking about those because you know, um, during World the thing the thing that I remember from my, my father who fought in World War II was that. This balloon thing, it, it happens. I mean, my dad told me in World War II, they were sending balloons out over the U.S. as well. That they were, and I don't know directly if they were shooting them down, but I know that there were reports of, of people seeing balloons back in World War II going across the U.S. So, I mean, it's an interesting topic to talk about. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Now, if you're watching from Facebook tonight and you like what you see, please be sure to hit that follow button. And if you like what you hear and everything, do what uh, I think Jerry just did. I think Jerry just did. Let me see. Let's see. Who did this? Jerry and yeah. So I had a couple people just right now. 
hit that like button. And that's what we're looking for is uh, the more likes, the merrier. And if you happen to be watching from our YouTube channel, please be sure and subscribe. There's that little ghost, I believe, down in the bottom right-hand corner with the magnifying glass and the Sherlock Holmes hat on. And he is our mascot. If you click on that, the uh, subscribe button will come up. And uh, that will subscribe you to everything we have, plus alert you when we have new, new stuff coming out. And believe me, as a journalist, I like to vary my topics. So if you go through, I have five, over more than 550 videos sitting over there of the show. And I'm sure if you go through all those videos, you will find something that you like. Because like I said, I don't always stick to paranormal topics. All right. There's a lot of interesting topics. Tomorrow is going to be t taking your trauma and building it into something for your life. We're going to have, have, have Dr. Bell on tomorrow. But our, the main focus today is our guest. Greg Lawson. He's a very, very intelligent guy, and I'm going to let him tell you about him himself so I don't blow it. But uh, welcome, welcome, and let's get the show on the road. Hello. Hey, Charlotte. How's it going? Good. How are you? Is my mic too hot? Is it okay? There you go, right there. Yeah. That's good. Okay. Perfect. You almost, almost blew me out of the chair there in a second. <laughs> Sorry about that. A second ago, so tell everybody about you. It's good to have you back. Hey, it's good to be back. Yeah. Um, well, uh, uh, about me in the last year or about me, just the whole in general. Really? Oh, just, just the whole in general. Okay. About, All right. Yeah. It's been, it's been about a year since you've been here, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, it, I, I started doing paranormal stuff when I was a little kid. My, my brother would take me riding around on his motorcycle. He was 17. I was five. And so he kind of indoctrinated me into uh, doing paranormal stuff, going to graveyards. And we were kind of doing, I guess, more urban exploration. And so in uh, junior high and high school, that's what I did with my friends. I kind of passed that down and the uh, mystery and the intrigue and, uh, you know, just things being interesting. So uh, that's kind of what I did. And uh, when I went into the military, um, I continued doing that. And, and luckily, I was uh, with a rapid deployment unit. So I got to serve up in Alaska and Northern Africa and Middle East and Central America. I was with 82nd. And uh, we traveled around quite a bit. So um, I got to go to some really interesting places. And then once I got out of the Army, um, I became a law enforcement official that I did not think I would do. I never really planned on being a cop. Uh, it just kind of turned out that way. I'm one of those reluctant cops, you know, so um, did that. Um, I've, I've done um, uh, most of everything you can do. That's, that's highly interesting in, in law enforcement, I guess. I haven't done like the traffic stuff. I haven't been a DWI uh, guy, but I've, I've done SWAT and I've done uh, mental health uh, as a negotiator um, uh, homicide and, and sex crime, stuff like that. And during that whole time, I, uh, you know, kind of paying attention to what's going on, what's going on around me, learning new investigative techniques, industry standard kind of stuff, and then become a subject matter expert in a lot of, uh, um, research and, and doing investigations and interviewing people and things like that. So I, I kind of, use that in, in my regular paranormal investigations that I do on the side. Uh, also I was in the Navy and I did a lot of, uh, I, I went on two Westpac deployments. I was on Nimitz. So I was an air detection and tracking specialist, uh, operation specialist and, uh, did surface warfare and subsurface and 
search and rescue and, and uh, had a really good, uh, uh, good, good deployments with the Navy. So uh, I kind of wrap all of that into um, the books that I write. Uh, I've written four books on paranormal and, uh, and I continue to do lectures and uh, travel around and explore paranormal sites. So that's pretty much in a nutshell. Well, your background does help, you know, when you're talking to people for books or, or for about paranormal or whatever. I mean, I'm a journalist, so that helps a lot, too, to watch. just like you're watching people's body language when, when you're interviewing them, you know, and talking right. to them to see if they're yeah. telling the truth or not. So it does help. And I also have somebody on my staff who was on the Modesto Police Department who was a hostage negotiator for, for that. So I have that as well. But uh, so we have a little in common. Just a yeah. little in common. You know, and from what I can tell from, you know, the topic tonight, which, what you did with the Navy fits right in with this. It does. It does, it does. for sure. So talking about these balloons, and I don't, you know, and I, I know I mentioned in the beginning that this has been going on for years. I mean, it, it was happening during World War II even, you know, um, mm -hmm. what, what, what do you think of these, the, the, the last balloon cases? What's your opinion of it? So, so the last ones, uh, this whole debacle with the uh, Chinese balloon that was floating around, whether it was intentional that uh, China sent it over and, you know, you, you can control balloons fairly well. Um, if you can control their, their altitude, uh, you can kind of steer them where you want them to go. So it's a little suspicious that, you know, if anybody thinks that that Chinese balloon was here by accident, uh, unless they lost control of it. Um, don't think so. I think it was here by design and, uh, whatever it might have been doing, um, we allowed it to do a lot, a lot of that over the United States. Uh, and th the whole thing was just handled in a very, very strange, bizarre manner. Um, I, 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 I like to try to think that, uh, my government knows what they're doing and that they're doing things for a purpose and that sort of thing. But you always have to remember the people that are in charge are typically the people that don't know anything about anything. Right, right. They're politicians. They don't know anything. And they're the ones that are typically making a lot of these decisions mm -hmm. and they do it uh, for votes. They do it for political reasons, you know, whatever the flavor of the month is uh, as far as the topic goes. And, you know, so, I've, I've lost quite a bit of faith in the last, <laughs> in the last few, uh, I don't know, last decade, I guess, maybe. But, yeah. Well, I agree with you in that. But what people don't realize is balloons can be you know, controlled. Because I, yeah. I've hung out with a lot of hot, hot, you know, last few years of hot air balloon pilots. Sure. And so I, I've been up a few times. And so, yeah, I mean, they can really land where they want to land and this, despite the wind and stuff. So, I mean, it's, 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 this, this whole thing with these balloons has, has interested me since they shot the first one down. Yeah. And why would they shoot it? I mean, if, if they think it's Chinese, this is the other question I have is if they think there's Chinese surveillance equipment on there, why would they shoot it down over the ocean? So makes no sense. It, it makes no sense. It, they're idiots. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm a, you know, they're talking about uh, the, the size of it. I know I've, I've seen a, uh, a couple of different reports and some design, uh, some drawings and stuff online saying that, you know, they're, the payload was a size of three buses. That is a big balloon. And that is a lot of payload. Um, I, I completely understand why they were concerned about where it would land, but we have a lot of open land in the United States. You can't tell me that they couldn't have done that. Also, um, 
I think I probably would have made some, uh, some better choices as far as how I was going to involve myself with a balloon. If I was in charge of, uh, of that, you know, the first, first thing would be safety. I, I agree with that. But second thing is recovering evidence. Mm-hmm. And to shoot a balloon down with a six thousand or six hundred thousand dollar missile or whatever it cost, mm-hmm. it was expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and to do it over open water, right. ocean, salt water, knowing that when this thing goes in the water, it's probably uh, not designed to to um, protect itself from water pressure when it sinks. Right. Uh, that means that I'm going to probably lose all, you know, a, a lot of the technology that's on it, especially the software part. And I'm mm-hmm. not going to be able to recreate that. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to think that, you know, we have intelligence people working on this state department, all these people looking at this, uh, maybe intercepting the signal already, maybe downloading the information off of it already uh, remotely and shooting it down. And they're just going to, you know, send the Navy out for a, a training mission to go collect up the garbage. Right. Uh, maybe that's what it is. That's what I want to hope. But it, the, the way it all went down was just, it didn't make any sense. And to blow it up with a $600,000 missile, I need to, I need to look up the, uh, the cost of that missile. Um, I keep throwing around $600,000. Um, I can think of many different ways that I could bring that balloon down in a slower manner by venting whatever the gas is, probably helium, by venting that in a slower manner than blowing the thing up. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know. Well, I agree with you in that. There's so many other places that it could have come down. I mean, yeah. unless it was an issue where they felt there was going to be too much public outcry to just let it float over the U.S. until they found the spot, you know, like the Mojave bring the thing down in you know what i mean i i i don't understand what they were doing and i agree with you there's there's, there's a i mean they could have shot it with, with a machine gun pulled it off an airplane and it would have come down slower than what it did right you could you could vent that gas many different ways and it just the way they did it 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 was just dumb and 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 maybe you know maybe they do know something that we don't maybe they did you know if, if this thing was I'm assuming the the payload was not there to collect data, hold on to it, and have somebody plug into it and download it. I'm assuming that the payload was to collect data and then transmit the data. Mm-hmm. Um, so there could have been a really good uh, intercept that we did as far as an IT intercept and 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 figured out what it was transmitting on and, and somehow get it maybe in uncrypted if it wasn't, I mean, if it was crypted, I, I want to have that faith, but I see so many dumb things that our government does uh, all the way, you know, from, from, from small city governments all the way to the federal government. I just, I shake my head and just, uh, I don't know. For people that don't know the difference, what, what, okay. We're, we're talking something that's really huge. How big are weather balloons normally? Well, you know, it, it just depends because like even on Nimitz, uh, when I was on Nimitz, I was on Nimitz from uh, 90 to 94. We launched weather balloons off of Nimitz and they weren't that big. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you look at some of these, they're absolutely huge. The, the weather balloons that they were launching out of Berkstrom Air Force Base in Austin, Texas in the 19, 
seventies, early 1970s. Uh, the issue with those is as they go up, they, they're, they're shaped like an upside down teardrop or like a light bulb. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when they start going up and they go up further and further and further, that balloon starts flattening out okay. and it becomes like a big Frisbee. Right. Uh, and when it's way up there and it's like that, uh, and you get the, the long rays of the sun, if the sun is going down, mm -hmm. uh, you get some reflection off of those and they look like big giant flying saucers. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, it just, it just depends. There's so many different kinds. Uh, I know this, uh, this Chinese balloon had to have been huge if the payload was the size of three buses. I mean, that's. Right. That's huge. That's huge, huge. And and maybe the the you know the the 3D model size of them were three buses, but maybe they were very, very thin metals and plastics and um I don't know, uh some sort of uh um reflectors to to try to get uh, their transmission, their transmissions or try to collect, uh, sun rays or something like that. You know I mean? I, I don't know what it was constructed out of, but so it could be very big, but very light. I don't, I don't think I'm pretty sure, you know, it wasn't the weight of three buses. <laughs> Let's put it that way. That's, that's a lot. No, no. So. Um, also I agree with you with maybe they got something off of it before. I mean, we're, I'd like to think that the intelligence on, on these, on, on even Navy ships or whatever, because look at the submarines. Let's just go that way. Look at the guys that are on the sonar in the submarines. I mean, they can tell what type of sub it is, what, you know, just by, just by listening to the propeller, you know, right. all these things, if they have a propeller. So I'm sure there's the, those big years things that are out there, you know, looking at the universe, I'm sure they can pick up on these balloons and what they're transmitting. Right. And and that's one of the things like uh, you, you mentioned, knowing what submarine it is as an operations specialist and doing air detection and tracking. That was one of our special specialties is to be able to identify friend or foe, identify the aircraft. Mm -hmm. And you did that in a, a manner of a bunch of different ways because uh, military aircraft can can mask themselves as civilian aircraft. And uh, it's against the rules, but they still do stuff like mm -hmm. Uh, as a air intercept controller or as a air detection uh, specialist, I would be looking at a radar and I would have a contact come up. Well, immediately I can figure out what the, uh, what the altitude is, what they're tracking as far as their d direction, mm -hmm. their speed. Then I go into a, a, a series of other things to where I can figure out what radio they're transmitting on, what radar, if they're transmitting a radar, I can look at, um, the air corridors and a lot of people don't realize that we have air corridors that are assigned and they're like roadways in the sky mm -hmm. and uh, commercial airliners are to stay in those air corridors. So if there's an aircraft flying a certain altitude at a certain speed, squawking a certain um, uh, radar signature uh, in an air corridor, I can assume it's a commercial aircraft. Mm -hmm. But if, if it's performing outside of those parameters and it's not in an air corridor, then maybe it's not a commercial aircraft. Maybe it's a military aircraft or something else. Right. So you look at all of that stuff, but you have to have that information first mm -hmm. to be able to identify it, to be able to, to figure it out. So if we have strange objects, uh, UAPs, UFOs, strange balloons that we've never seen before, 
without having those models to go off of to determine what they are, we have no clue right. until we get eyes on them. Right. Yeah. Right. Because, I mean, there's also certain frequencies that 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 that, that stuff broadcasts on, too. And, I mean, if yep. they come across something that's not of that particular frequency, then, you know, you have to really start looking into it. Right. Yeah. When I was in, when I was in the Gulf, um, in the Arabian Gulf and Iraq and all that, um, there was a, a, a particular plane that flew every day out of Basra, mm-hmm. uh, and it would fly the same pattern and it was doing the same thing. Uh, and today that plane can't go anywhere in the world without us knowing where it is because we have all the engine frequencies. We have all the radar, trans, you know, transmitting frequencies. We all have all the radio, radio trans. We have everything about what kind of noise, what kind of vibration this plane has. And it's very much each engine, each car, each aircraft it has basically a fingerprint, right? We're not quite to the DNA side of uh, being able to identify this stuff, but they have really, really strong fingerprints based on these patterns, these vibrations and, and frequencies. And we're able to say, that's what that is. That's what that is. Well, even with the work I do as a paranormal investigator, the EVPs, I mean, somebody might have a washer and dryer going in the background. It almost sounds like, because, you know, they make noises. So sure. take some of that for a human voice. But if you listen, they have a distinctive rhythm. When they're running, the motors on them, and so yeah. like I, I have, <laughs> I kind of think I'm like the Navy. I have, I have a bunch of files where I can go back and go, okay, let's let's test this against this and see what maybe this noise. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, that's I fantastic. Yeah, I understand the frequency. Thing well, you know, and 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 you can look at uh, you know how uh, how people, how governments have used balloons for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds yeah. of years. Uh, and uh, they were using balloons in the Civil War. They were using the balloons in, in First World War, Spanish-American War. I mean, they, there is an application, a military application for balloons for sure. And people think that we're beyond that because we have satellites and we have aircraft and we have helicopters and we have, you, you know, uh, drones and you have all this stuff. But uh, there's still applications for balloons. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, when you think back to like even World War II, when they were using, and I'm not going to say balloons, but they were using um, lighter than aircraft to look for submarines. Yeah. Yeah. The Archon and some of the other dirigibles, the, uh, uh, the, the, what would be considered blimps like uh, yeah, the Zeppelins right. and things like that. Yeah. My dad yeah. has a real, had a real funny story because he was in the Coast Guard and he was on, he was on p- patrol at night on North Carolina coast. And he was the only one they would send out there. They would send one guy out at the time to walk the beaches out there by Kitty Hawk. And he says, one night it was so foggy and he's walking. And he says, all of a sudden he hears a voice, a disembodied voice. And he looks up and here comes a cup of coffee down from this um, blimp. <laughs> That's scared, great. Scared the hell out of him. <laughs> so yeah, yeah so, so they have been doing stuff like this, you know, utilizing balloons in one form or another. And they're, and they're starting to, they have some experimental balloons right now that they're, they're working on to, because they, there are very interesting, uh, um, applications that you can use that you can't use for everything else. The problem is, is, uh, just about every military design balloon that we've ever used has crashed <laughs> and at one time or another, you know, uh, here you get a 30 knot wind, here comes a gust yeah. of wind for 60 knots and yeah. man, you are in trouble because that thing is a giant sail. 
Yep. And uh, it's going to go wherever that wind decides it's going to go. And uh, fighting it is going to be going to be tough. Now, for let's 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 play devil's advocate here for for this big this big giant balloon. What kind of data were they gathering? Yeah, that's that's the interesting thing, right? It depends on where they were going. You know, were they were they looking at strategic outposts for U.S. military? Were they trying to uh, get eyes on and confirm um, missile silos? Uh, you know, were they were they looking for military targets or were they looking for large infrastructure? Um, you know, military targets are often uh, the ones that we have have been there for a long time and they're on all kinds of maps and, and all that stuff. So to, to, to want to get a balloon over there to look at, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And, and you have really good uh, satellite. You can go on, you know, on Google and, and some of those other mapping satellites and, and you can see a lot of stuff. You can see a lot of stuff that you'd go, yeah, if I was a government, I'd tell them they can't see that. Sure. But Absolutely. so maybe they were looking for uh, maybe some infrastructure stuff, some large manufacturing stuff. Like what what are they doing? Uh, we're uh, um, uh, they just got through building a Tesla plant here in Austin. I'm I'm I live north of Austin and I drive by there every day. Uh, and this Tesla plant is giant. So what what can you make in this giant building other than cars? There's all kinds of applications for the robots that they use there to make things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it'd be very simple to upload a new program and start building tanks or building whatever you want to mm-hmm. build out of there, right? So that's one of the the really interesting things for me. Um, so I have ten years military. Uh, it's four years Army, four years Navy, and two years Air Force. So I have uh, a very um, broad look at tactics and, and why things are they, the way they are. I did small tactics in the army. I did large operational stuff in the Navy. Uh, and then I did what would be considered asset protection in the air force. So when you, when you combine all of that and you kind of look at it, uh, one of the things that I'm very interested in is, is if you are going to hurt uh, an enemy, or if you were going to try to seize very important things of an enemy, what would that be? And one of those would be infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at the 82nd Airborne Division, a lot of people don't realize what paratroopers actually do, what their their mission is. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a paratrooper, you're a commando. Your job is to be surrounded. Um, Marines hit the beach in a line and they push forward. Other large divisions in the Army hit the beach in a line and push forward. Airborne individuals are, are are geared to jump right down in the middle of everything and cause chaos and and attack or secure infrastructure. That's what it. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. So, if you're looking at airports, a, a small airport, you'd send an airborne unit in there to se- secure that. A train depot, um, very very important, is uh, electrical. Uh, any kind of uh, uh, you know power generating facilities that's that's in, incredibly important. So, you know may, maybe that was one of the things that uh, that this balloon was trying to do is make sense of some of the things that we have lined up. the The scary part about what the Chinese were doing it wasn't necessarily this balloon. Mm-hmm. Um, during COVID, they pretty much took over Africa. Nobody paid any attention at all. The amount of uh, projects they have going on uh, in about 50% of all of Africa. They're going to own Africa soon. Mm -hmm. Uh, And 
we just sat back because we were so worried about masks and, uh, and pronouns that uh, the media didn't cover any of this and they're still not covering it. And it is a giant issue. Uh, we're about to lose C percent uh, uh, supremacy. Uh, China is going to take over that really soon. They're already writing a lot of uh, articles and a lot of um, uh, hardcore military type uh, periodicals. And there's a lot of papers being written about it. And we're the Chinese are making history right now. So there's a lot of well, stuff going on with them. As you were saying that about infrastructure, too. And don't correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the main things, too, that, that any, and any paratroopers will go in and take is to cut down the the way to communicate like the internet oh yeah radio stations and with balloons they can get in lower than they can with with spy planes sure so i mean they're look they're, you know they're probably looking for that to see where the radio stations are the tv stations and all that to take all that out yep yeah there's there's a whole lot of applications but right now i can't remember what it's called uh the the uh, the, the nickname is a pumpkin. Um, it is a giant, giant balloon NASA has, uh, that is about 120,000 feet up and it, it, it's designed to measure pressures at that, that altitude. Um, because there's a lot of different things that change at that altitude as far as getting vehicles off the earth and into space. And then, in you know, and, and in space and then back on earth right in that area is this kind of little sweet spot that you got to pay attention to. Uh, otherwise you bounce off or you catch on fire or you break up and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, that, that thing is giant. That is really, really big. But most of the balloons that, that, uh, we're talking about are, um, about 30,000 feet lower than them as far as those weather balloons, some of the other scientific balloons. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, Mm. Isn't, it, isn't it true? Because I know I've, I've done a lot of research on the SR seventy one Blackbird and the cameras that they can use, and how yeah. a, how accurate they are. Where you can put a deck of cards down on in the middle of a street, yeah. face one up, and they can get a photo of the card. I had a friend of mine that uh, his father um, flew P fifty three P thirty eight Lightnings P thirty eight oh, Lightnings thirty eight Lightnings. Yeah, in World War II, uh, and. Toward the end of the war, um, they were trying to do some reconnaissance stuff. And so they, he, he was the commander of that unit and he was asking for volunteers and everybody was like, oh no, I'm not doing this. So he goes, fine, I'll do it. So he set the example. They pulled all his guns off and then put these very, very powerful cameras in there. Uh, and his job was to fly as fast as he could, as low as he could, uh, and fly around the Filipino islands and, um, the, the Philippines and there's a couple of other islands. I can't remember what they're called. Uh, and he was looking for, um, POW camps. Oh, okay. And the, the real interesting thing is, so he dies, my friend, uh, inherits all of his junk and I'm over there talking to him and he was throwing a bunch of stuff out He goes, oh, these are old photos from world war two. His dad had kept a whole bunch of those photos and there were literally, you could see GIs on the ground pointing at the airplane Wow! as he's going over. Yeah. Uh, he actually got shot down like the third time he, uh, in the third, third or fourth time he did that, he ended up having to ditch that plane. Um, but 
he had kept all that stuff. So I took all those photos and everything and I took him over to the uh, museum of the Pacific war over in Fredericksburg and donated them there. I don't know if they'll ever use them for anything, but they were very interesting. And they were all marked, uh, you know, top secret, but of course they were declassed and, and, uh, I guess that's how he got them at the end of the war or whenever, but yeah. Um, well, when you think about the technology now, even with the SR-71 Blackbird, which is now not flying, well, they tell us it's not flying, so who knows. But, I mean, that had to come so far. I mean, if, if back, what, 10, 15, 20 years ago, the thing could take a picture of a deck of cards, it's got right. to have real high-tech cameras. But that's where these balloons can come in, like you say, because they're flying a lot lower than an airplane. So they can and a lot slower, a yeah. A lot slower, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there there could be a ton of them. I think you were you were mentioning the one up in Canada. I think that was a Lake Huron one that they yeah. shot down. And I don't know whether yeah. they've collected any of that. I haven't really heard much of it. Um, like so many other things in the news in the United States, uh, they'll hit it hard, 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 hard. Get as good a ratings as they can. They just move on to the next thing, right, right. and they rarely go back and you know, hey, and by the way, in conclusion, you know, we found this. Right. Um, they don't, they, the, the whole investigative reporting stuff seems to have completely disappeared out of like network news. Uh, and it's, it's sad. But. I just think it's a competition factor because you're having worked in newspapers, you have sure. more time to work on stuff working for newspapers. But if you're at a daily paper and say they're like in the situation I was in, um, I was in a daily paper one part of the county and then there was another daily paper to the other part of the county. So, I mean, you're, you're going like crazy. But at right. Least yeah. Newspaper. You get more detail, yeah. you know, with stuff. But other than that, I could see the whole news, you know, being like that and just moving on to, to the next big thing because they're trying to one up each other. It's interesting. You see a lot of the uh, the new podcasts that are coming up where journalists are, are taking real deep dives in certain things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, fan, you know, fascinating with that it stuff. Is. It is. It's fascinating. Now, not to scare people, but in your in your opinion, how many balloons do you think are, are above us? floating around just out of curiosity oh there's thousands thousands yeah yeah um and and all kinds of different applications of them of course and when i say thousands i'm throwing in the little uh you know birthday balloons that people leave all or you know like the the rubber ones pop you know before they get yeah. I don't know, 15,000 feet or whatever, they'll, they'll yeah. end up popping before that. But those Mylar balloons are the little uh, plastic ones, you know, like that are shaped with the heart or whatever. Those things will last up 20,000 feet or so. So they can actually, I mean, they, I don't know of any history of it, but they could actually be hazards to navigation because of them floating around. And I would imagine a propeller or, or a, imagine you getting sucked in by a jet. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know whether that would do more damage than what like a pigeon would or, or what, but um, you would think it would do something. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, if you, if you go worldwide, we have thousands and there, there are all kinds of different applications. Some of them are just benign, you know, weather or, or uh, like, scientific experimental stuff. And then some of them I'm sure are intelligence and counterintelligence and counter counterintelligence and, um, and, and all that. I don't know whatever happened with the, the Lake here on one. Um, yeah, I don't either. I don't or, know or what his, and, and so I I've been asked, uh, by, by several different people as far as it's like, why are all these balloons popping up now? What's, what's the deal with them coming up now? Right. Well, uh, a lot of it has to do with uh, um, the laws that our intelligence um, or, uh, organizations now have to abide by, which uh, are t- 
to they have a responsibility they have a mandate from from congress okay. and a responsibility to investigate all the ufo uap reports that are coming into them um I, i'm going to say that there's probably a very good way that they vet the witness you know if it's some crazy guy who's doing mushrooms they're probably not going to follow up too much uh with it but if it's a you know, if it's an airline pilot, if it's a cop, if it's a, you know, um, a, a normal person uh, that sees something mm -hmm. and they report it, they have a, a duty to investigate it. So they're, they're going to be doing that a lot more mm -hmm. in with that. Um, like when I was an operations specialist, one of the tools that I used was a radar and that radar, you know, you can adjust the frequency of that radar and adjust the uh, display of the radar. So when there's things like squalls, let's say there's a, a, a storm at sea, a small storm at sea, uh, you can tune that out. Uh, you can tune out flocks of birds if your radar is picking that up. Mm -hmm. And obviously you could tune out weather balloons and things like that, depending on the size of the payload and everything. So with these new mandates, I can only assume that many of these uh, people, whether they're civilian radar, I say civilian, they would be civil service radar mm -hmm. uh, for like uh, government uh, workers at airports doing air, air, air control. And I would assume that they've been adjusting their radar to pick up and be more sensitive to what's in the air. Mm -hmm. Uh, assign a track number to that piece of video and determine, try to determine what it is. Um, so we're going to be getting a lot more of these reports basically because there's a lot more electronics and a lot more government workers actually looking. Mm -hmm. uh, and if they can't figure out what it is right away, they're going to report it as a UAP. Mm -hmm. So Now, where are these things launched from? wherever um you know i'm mean, a, a a lot of this stuff like i said it, it i don't know whether they're still doing it i can't i can't testify <laughs> whether or not uh the navy is still using weather balloons i'm going to assume they are because if if you're on an aircraft carrier and you're at sea away from everything you're going to have satellites that you can communicate with and see certain things but to really pick up the weather um, very close to you, mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't know how else you could do it other than, uh, through some sort of means as far as a balloon or something like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be using them. Uh, obviously, uh, universities are going to be launching balloons all the time because they're practicing all that stuff, uh, meteorology and all that. They're going to be doing that stuff. Uh, and a lot of these, uh, aerospace, uh, places are going to be using, balloons as lift mechanisms to get their whatever their design is whatever this whatever their vehicle or, or or machine that they're working on to go to altitude and then to do something with it either drop it uh, maybe drop it with a parachute or um just see how it performs uh you know there's all kinds of applications on those well, when we're talking about the military, like say with China, are they going to launch from a a, a ship or, or or I mean, obviously these things that they came from China, that's pretty pretty, pretty spectacular, you know, maneuvering on their part. Right. 
So that's the one thing that, you know, you see the movies like Red Dawn, uh, you hear people saying, well, you know, if they invade us and if the Russians come to get us, if the Chinese come to get us, they're not coming to get us, folks. Uh, neither the Russians or well, the Russians can't, can't deal with Ukraine, so they're not going to deal with us. Uh, the Chinese are probably our closest uh, um, to a, a, an actual threat as far as an enemy. And they can't come over here either because they can't support themselves. They can't get gas to drive their ships. They can't get food to feed their sailors. Um, they're, that's, that's the thing that the Chinese are really lacking, I think, at this point, is the logistics to be able to support their war machine to get here. And then once they get here, there's a problem. Imagine if, <laughs> if Mexico was actually Russia and Texas was Ukraine. Do you think Russia would have invaded Ukraine? No, there's too many guns in Texas. It would have been a it would have been a slaughter. And so, you know, it's one of those things. It's like uh, we don't have too much to worry. We need to worry about you know the strategic uh, intercontinental ballistic missile threat, uh, you know, sea launched threat, subsurface launched threat, mm-hmm. uh, and the money. As far as us paying for all that, because look in your house, man. I, I, and I am, I'm, I'm as bad as everybody else. Everything I have in front of me, I have a bunch of stuff here. Mm-hmm. It's all made in China. Every bit of every everything bit of I that, have. Every bit of it. Yeah. Every and so we're, we're paying for their war machine and I don't think they're going to mess with us. Uh, but you know, Taiwan, Africa, Africa's gone as far as I'm concerned. Right. They're, they're going to have Africa. They're going to own them because they're, they're putting so much infrastructure and everything in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, those African governments have to pay them back. That's, that's part of the deal. And when you can't pay them back, what do you do? You repo. Yep. So your collateral is your land, you know, thanks for that. Uh, thanks for that. Um, <laughs> I don't know what they're going to do. I don't yeah, know what they're going to do. It's, it's not a good situation. A lot of, a lot of people go, ah, we're not going to worry about it. It's like, oh, you might want to think about it a little bit. Do you think that, I, I, I know that, you know, these, these could be, because we don't really know what the balloons were to begin with, whether they were surveillance or what. But do you think that even like going public with these things, you know, with the, with the government claiming anything about the balloons, that it's going to make the public nervous and, and you know, you know what I mean? And, and start panic. You know, I don't think so. I think people are going to be concerned about it. If they're paying attention, they should be concerned about it. I think we're worn out, man. I think as a society, um, we're so worn out with the with the media just hitting us over the head with one crisis after another. Right. Uh, just trying to keep those, trying to keep our interest, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I know a lot. Of course, I, I work in a different industry, and I don't, I don't always. Um, I don't hang out with a bunch of cops. I don't particularly, I, I just don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but working with them every day and hearing them talk, um, man, they're, they're, they're worn out also. And um, yeah, I just, I, I don't, I don't even know what to say about it. I, Absolutely. I, I don't, I think it's a shoulder shrug at this point. You know, mm-hmm. when's the next COVID variant going to come out? Nobody right. cares. You know, I mean, in Texas, everybody's like, yeah, well, whatever. 
I'm going, yeah. I'm going to eat barbecue. I don't know what you're doing, but I'm not putting that mask back on and I'm not doing this. I'm not going to wash my hands and I'm going to go do my thing. Uh, that's maybe a little facetious, but it is, it's just, people are just tired, man. Yeah. People are tired. Um, <laughs> let me ask about the UAPs now that, yep. that, the, that, that the Navy pilots saw, what do you think they, what do you think they were looking at in your opinion? So I have to, um, I have to defer my opinion based on their judgment. And I, I have a huge amount of respect for naval aviators. Those guys go through so much training, so much testing. It is so brutal. Those guys are so competitive. It is just a meat grinder, right? Right. So they're out there flying around and they see something very unusual and they, they get or somebody sees that and they get scrambled over there to do what's called a double SC mission. You're going to go over there and look and, and get eyes on something. Right. So, uh, they're going to be working off of information of, of a guy like me, an operation specialist or air uh, air intercept controller is going to be looking at something and go, okay, this is outside of an air corridor. It's not behaving the way a commercial airline is. It's not transmitting any radar or radio, but it's something real. I have no idea what this is. Get some aircraft up and they're on a, on a, on a aircraft carrier like that. They're always going to have a couple of aircraft just sitting there idling, mm -hmm. uh, and will be launching and, you know, they'll, they'll launch them within 10 minutes or so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so they're going to, they're going to scramble those guys out there to go take a look at it. So they're flying very fast and they're flying around this thing in the video that they shared with us, uh, of the Tic Tac, um, nickname that they, they named it. Right. Um, the problem with the video is it, 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 it appears that this Tic Tac thing is maneuvering, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was not good in math in high school. I really didn't want to have anything to do with it. Uh, you know, they tried to get me to do, um, uh, algebra and I'm like, I don't see myself ever using it. I'm that guy that has the t-shirt, you know, one more day and I didn't use yeah. algebra, you know, but, but we use trigonometry every day. We just don't know about it. Right. Anytime that you're navigating, you're moving from one spot to another, there's a whole mathematical, you know, formula that's going on with that. So I'm really good at trig. I've been through uh, multiple navigation laboratories to, to, to figure all this stuff out. And while the military relies a lot now on um, computers and video and things that are doing everything for you, Mm -hmm. operation specialists have to understand how that works. And we have to be able to do it on what's called a maneuvering board, dead reckoning trace, charts, maps, things like that. And so pilots don't have to go through so much of that. They have navigation stuff, obviously, mm -hmm. but I'm wondering whether or not their eyes were tricking them a little bit. Uh, but I can't, definitive tell you what it is. I, I, I believe they saw something that they didn't understand mm -hmm. uh, and they had never seen before. They, there's different people that say different things about as far as maneuverability, but as you're flying and you're watching 
that tic tac move around. The thing that you're not thinking of is is the three dimensional that's going on. I can drive by something and look at it, and it looks like it's moving uh-huh. because of the background is moving. Absolutely right, right. So when I'm doing that, I can trick my eyes that it's moving. Uh-huh. I can also trick my eyes that it's not moving. Everybody has had this phenomenon. You're driving in a car, you look up, and a giant airplane is just floating in the air. Uh-huh. It's not moving anyway, it's just floating there. And it's because the way our eyes are looking at it, the way our car is driving, and the way the, the, the plane's trajectory, we're looking at it, and it appears to not be moving, but it is. Uh-huh. Uh, and that typically happens in a wide open sky. Uh, and the smaller things get, the faster it looks. And I'll give you the example of that. Okay. When you're looking at an eight lane or, or let's say a four lane highway and somebody's driving 55 miles an hour on it, it looks like they're just putting along. Mm-hmm. Well, you put that car on a single lane, you know, uh, driveway to a house on a gravel road at 55 miles an hour, he looks like he's going a million miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Our eyes kind of uh, don't always judge things right. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe whatever that thing was, it was something that we don't understand uh, and that those pilots didn't understand. Mm -hmm. I I don't believe that it was a balloon. Let's put it that way. I I believe it was something else. Well, the other thing to take into effect with that, take into account effect, take take into account with that is they could have been you know, in the middle of slight turbulence as well, mm-hmm. you know, where they were bobbing up and down too. So that wasn't helping the view. I'm not saying they didn't see anything because I don't know. No, no one's probably ever going to really know, you know, what, what they saw. But I mean, I agree with you. They saw something that, that they didn't understand. Right. With, yeah. that whole, with that whole thing. Um, there's a lot of reports. I mean, even through like world, well, world war two, for instance, uh, as far as these UAPs go, where each like each side, which the United States, Germany, and even Japan, thought that these ships belonged to the other side. Right. These things that we're seeing. And what's interesting is that the Germans now came up with you know they came up with the first jet ever. So maybe that's what the U.S. pilots were seeing back then. But who knows? I mean, this has been going on for for years. So could be secret stuff or not. Yeah, and and when the when you have government entities that are mandated to investigate this stuff mm-hmm. uh and if they run into that side of it to where it's like oh well this looks like it flew out of this particular air force base and whatever and the air force folks just shrug their shoulders and go yeah no we're not talking about it mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not going to be able to make them talk about it depending mm-hmm. on their level of security and and uh um, you know that's that's what whatever their clearance is or whatever is going to be inconsequential for the simple fact they don't need to need to know if they're operating some training mission uh they're operating some uh, real real world mission or doing some sort of experimental stuff that um has some sort of clearance they're not going to tell you anyway and it's just going to they're not going to say oh yeah we're we're flying secret stuff out here they're not going to do that because now, all of a sudden, China, there's going to be 20 Chinese balloons over there taking pictures, right? I agree. <laughs> or whatever they're going to do. And I also agree with you uh, with something you said about your background and, and other backgrounds where, like, like all these paranormal shows that are on TV, I don't watch that, that garbage. 
I like the ones like Paranormal 911, where it's police officers and fire department personnel, because they're trained observers for right. whatever they're saying. You know, yeah. and I agree with you on that. When it comes from a trained observer, it adds more importance to it. Yeah, and and even uh, even somebody that is is trained to pay attention mm-hmm. uh, can be tired. You know, they, they can be not paying attention for whatever reason. Uh, and, or, uh, you know, pareidolia, pareidolia can kick in and you right. see something that you don't, you know, your brain's trying to make sense of something. So it just kind of formulates what it is. That's one of those things that, you know, people will roll their eyes sort of at me when I talk about this, but, um, you and I don't actually see. So, uh, the things that are in front of us, I'm looking at you on the screen. I can see me on the screen. I got my mic. I got the cameras there. Um, I assume that's what it is because I have sensory organs that have road or, or, you know, um, rods and cones that are picking up light and color, different wavelengths of color. And then it's going back and it's being transmitted in electrical and chemical responses to the back of my brain. Mm -hmm. When those little responses get back there and they are reassembled, I am putting it together to what I think I saw. And it makes sense. This thing's round and it's spongy. I can assume this, what that is, Mm -hmm. but honestly, we are blind. We're not, we don't see that this is, our eyes are not the windows to our soul and it's not some sort of projection. Like we're watching a movie projected up on a wall on the back of our head or the back of our brain. That's not how it works. We are interpreting our brain is telling us what we think we see. The interesting thing is when you look into that, and there's a lot of uh, folks with head injury, they've done a lot of studies on this where um, people will taste color because they have a head injury and those neurons and dendrites and all that stuff get all mixed up in there. And when they re you know, repaired themselves, they repaired, you know, the, the tongue to the eyes. And so when you see color red, you would normally, I would see red, but no, I'm tasting red. And I can't even tell you what that is, but it's, there's some fascinating papers out there on individuals with head injuries that have these particular types of uh, uh, things that happen to them. And so, you know, we're a lot more complicated than <laughs> I think a lot of us think. That does sound fascinating. I'll, I'll have to look into that because that yeah. fascinates me. You yeah. know, because I mean, our sense of smell is a lot greater really than our eyesight because I mean, yeah. that, that's what makes us decide whether we're going to put it in our mouth or not. You right. Know? It smells foul. It's not going, it's not going in. Right? Be weird if you could taste what you heard. Yeah. You know, it would be <laughs> bizarre. Great. That's that's really bizarre. Yeah. Do you ever think there's going to be a disclosure? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely do. Um, I don't know how that's going to come about. Um, but the whole excuses of, of all this gibberish is just not making a lot of sense. And, and like I said, I think, I think they're beating the care out of Americans. Right. <laughs> I, think, I think they're just yeah. beating us down to the point where it's like, whatever, man, I just want to go to Chick-fil-A. That's right. it. I just want, you know, chicken biscuit. 
That's simple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, a, and a diet lemonade, please. I don't care. <laughs> it reminds me of after nine one one, after what happened in nine one one, when they started putting out the security alerts. You know the security levels. And after a while, no one cared. Even Nobody cared. On the original level. Yeah. And and you know different there's different levels for like federal state and local and you know they're talking this stuff and nobody's on the same page and everybody's yeah wash your hands wash your hands you know cover your mouth when you cough dude this is 101 Absolutely absolutely So what's next for you sir So um right now I'm actually writing a book that I've been wanting to write for a long time. And, um, it is, I, I started off as a, as a, uh, as a working title called the interpreters. And cause that's what we are, right? We're all interpreters of whatever the experience that we're having. Um, I'm focusing in on a specific type of interpretation of, uh, uh, ex- experience that we have and, uh, how we are like, like, uh, when you're a kid, mommy, mommy, there's a ghost in my room. There's no such thing as ghosts. honey. don't worry about it. Go sleep. You know, there's a monster in my, my closet. There's, right. there's no such thing as monsters. It's okay. You know, go to sleep. So from uh, very, very young, we are interpreting our surroundings and we're, uh, either through, intuition or, or instinct or whatever it is, we're saying these are bad things. Dark closet is bad thing. Pareidolia. I can see a face in that shadow. That's a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And then people tell us, don't pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. Stop worrying about that. Don't pay attention. So we're indoctrinated into not paying attention. Uh, And these few people that weren't indoctrinated that way and that grow up and actually pay attention. And like, like you're saying, trained observer, but they're, they're more than a trained observer. They're an an interpretive observer. They're seeing things and they're experiencing things and they're trying to make sense of it. And maybe they get, um, maybe they get messages. Maybe they hear things. Maybe they uh, just get that gut instinct or whatever that, that feeling. And they say, you know, I think the the coal mine is going to collapse and cover over the whole town. And everybody goes, ah, you don't know what you're doing. So that that's that's what I'm working. I'm working on that. I'm working on a couple of other articles uh, right now, and I'm doing a whole lot of speaking. I'm uh, I'm going to be speaking at Tombstone this year. They're having their first uh, ever Tombstone Paracon. Uh, that's going to be great. All right. Yeah. So um, sounds like fun. Well, we'll I have to a- get you. We'll have to bring you back. Okay. It's always fun to have you on. Well, thanks. It was great being on. I'm glad you contacted me. I'm, I was happy to see your email. Terrific. Tell me real quick before you go, just, I don't know if I hit you with this question the last time, but uh, let's say you're standing in Las Vegas and we'll jump back to area 51, you know, and uh, not area 51, but Roswell. Okay. Okay. And there's several guys that have their own little buildings that have written books about Roswell. How do you bring people into your own little building to talk about wrong, you know, for, for your books and stuff? Um, you know, that's a really good question. Um, can you, uh, ask me again. Okay. You are standing on the street in Vegas. You're on the strip. Okay. And there's some guys that there's, there's, there's a whole row of you guys that have written these books, either on Roswell and different topics. 
how do you get people to read your book? Okay. Um, I'm going to point at those guys and say, see these guys, they're going to tell you the government was lying to you. They're going to tell you, and all of you probably think the government was lying to you. Mm-hmm. I can prove the government is lying to you. Can they do that? No, you need to read this book. This book, Roswell, the after action report. I use industry standard, best practices, subject matter expert on evaluating evidence and doing forensic uh, statement analysis. Those guys are still lying to us based on their own, <laughs> on their own techniques and, and studies. The air force is still lying to us about Roswell. It's crazy. I don't get it. Absolutely. Once again, thank you so much for coming. And I'm definitely going to be a hold of you again. Okay. Uh, get you back on. Cause it's always fun. It's always, fun thank you. I love talking to you. All right. Well, you have a good evening, sir. How can people find you real quick? Oh, okay. Uh, coldcaselegends.com or theparanormaldetective.com. You can find all my stuff there or on Amazon. All right. Fair enough. You have a good rest of your evening, sir. And thank you. Thank you again. Thanks. Thank you too. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right. I always learn so much when he's on. It's, it's, fun. it's really fun to talk to him. All right. Tomorrow now we're shifting gears kind of. We're going to be talking about trauma. Dr. Uh, Randall Bell has written a, a PhD has written a book um, on the studies he's done on people that go through severe trauma and how you can take that trauma and ball it up and use it in the future for good things, for good things in your life, how you can apply it to really cool things in your life. So he's going to be on tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific with me, and we're going to be talking about that. Quick update on the Patreon. The Patreon information will be up tomorrow. The site will be completed tomorrow, and... uh, I've got some really cool, exciting things for you guys, um, you know, to subscribe to that Patreon because every month, okay, well, once we get the numbers up, every month I'm going to do giveaways. I'm going to, I'm going to put your names in the hat and I might have coffee cups. I might have keychains. I might have, you know, other little items to give you guys, but every month we're going to do that as a thank you to you guys for, for signing up to the Patreon. So uh, we're going to have all that ready to go. And uh, next week, I will have my, we will have our first early release of a video. Okay? I've got two people that I'm going to be pre-recording over the next two weeks. And then we will have our, the first one next week that we're going to do an early, early release on for the pa- Patreon members to see. Now, don't fret, everybody else, because if, you don't, you know, if you're not a member of Patreon, I'll schedule the, the, those videos will be released further out. For you guys to watch okay but uh this is a the the patreon is, is going to be used for early release of of guests that come on on the pre-record plus um uh, i'll see if i can get a hold of greg lost and come back on over at the patreon if you guys have more questions about roswell or whatever for him you guys can do a one-on-one with him we're going to be doing that with nancy and other people that that appear on the show as well so we've got a lot going on over there and tomorrow i'll be able to go into more detail about what I'm all, you know, what, what I'm offering as far as my end of it, you know, it's five fifty a month to sign up for the Patreon, but it's well worth it. I'm, I'm putting a lot of things out there that you guys are going to have fun with and enjoy. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, this is it. This is the end of the show. And uh, I really enjoyed Greg Lawson tonight, and I enjoyed seeing you all in the chat room. And I'm glad, I'm glad you all came. And I'll get uh, some of Greg Lawson's uh, contact information for you so you can see that. But again, if you're watching from Facebook and you like what you saw tonight, please hit that like button or, you know, show us some love. The more the merrier, because the more you do that, the more it puts us up in the algorithms. Same thing with uh, YouTube. 
if you like what you saw, or even if you're watching from Twitch tonight, which I, I do have uh, live at Twitch as well, show me some love. Show me some love. And uh, again, I, I appreciate each and every one of you, right? And if you haven't done so on those pages, please subscribe and please follow. I'm also over on Instagram. So that would be uh, Ghosty Gal, which is all lowercase. I got to write all this stuff down. Ghosty Gal, which is all lowercase that you can find me at. You can even find us at, at, at the bird Twitter. And that's under Cal Haunts. You can find us at uh, Twitch, which I think is Cal Haunts too. And we're also over at TikTok. In fact, I have some announcements about TikTok that I'm going to be making. And uh, it's going to be kind of fun. We're going to start having, having some fun and doing some stuff. Okay. Anyway, I love you all. And I will see you tomorrow. And let me get the con. Let me show you the information for our guest. Here we go. I'll try to read this stuff. My contacts are really gnarly right now. I'm waiting on a new set. So here we go. So the website was author, there's, like he says, the two websites, plus authorgreglawson.com is another site of his, which is the original site I had listed for him. And the uh, Disorient Express, Zombie, Ad, 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 John, Zombie Advocacy, is, are two of the books that he has. And Roswell, you talked about that one, that, that report. And you've got How to Be a Paranormal Detective. And of course, you can get those probably from you get those from his websites and from Amazon. So check him out, Google him. He's a really fascinating guy to get to know. All right, everyone. I will see you tomorrow at six thirty p.m. Pacific. Lots of announcements and all that good stuff. Thank you all for coming, and adios.